Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you today as we do every single day of our lives for the wonderful gift of salvation that you have given to us. As your people, as we've sung, declared our praise to you this day, we truly are grateful for your wonderful love. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're always there with us. And this morning as we gather together in this place, we thank you. You're here. You really are. Thank you, you'll lift today every heavy heart, every burden, every yoke will be broken because of your presence. And Lord Jesus, you do it so effortlessly. Sometimes for days, even weeks, we can carry those fears, we can carry those burdens, we can struggle with things in our mind, and then a moment in his presence, suddenly they're gone, dissolved. One Bible writer put it like this, he said, the mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. Have you ever had a couple of mountains in your life? <laughs> We've had a couple, <laughs> one or two. Mountains seem so immovable. They seem so permanent. Problems that we can't get around. Fears that we face. Burdens that we carry. Shame and guilt and all of that stuff from the past it can seem so permanent and immovable in the picture of your life and in the picture of your future. And then suddenly it just comes. It just comes with his presence and the mountains that seem so permanent, so fixed, so immovable melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And you can be there like I've been there with my little shovel, <laughs> going up to that mountain every day, <laughs> and it's going nowhere. It's going nowhere fast. That thing is not going to go anywhere. And you're exerting all your energy and all your strength and all your effort and you're sweating your little head off. You can't do anything. And then you shovel bricks and you've got real problems. But his presence comes. And that immovable problem is melted away. That's what the, the prophet got so excited about. He saw that immovable, unscalable mountain, that problem, that crisis, suddenly leveled, suddenly melting away like 
wax under the heat of the flame. Let's lift our hands for a moment because he's going to do that. Only he can. And he's not going to do it for one more than another. He knows the mountains we've got in front of us. He knows all of the effort that we've exerted and that little spade that we've used. Whether it's been prayer, whether it's been fasting, whether and suddenly the spade is broke. Well, that's a wonderful thing when the spade breaks because you've just got to trust him completely. Hallelujah. So, Lord, we remember today that the mountains and the hills melt like wax at the presence of the Lord. And if there is any mountainous problem in the life of your children this morning that's causing pain, that's causing shame, a reminder of guilt, Lord, whatever it might be that seems so permanent and so immovable, we thank you right now that your presence just washes through this place in Jesus' name. And that very thing that seems so permanent will melt like wax under the fervent heat of your loving, gracious presence. We thank you for it. We receive it in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just rejoice in you. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you give him a big shout? Come on. Let's give him a big shout of praise. Before we sit down, he is so good. He really is. He really is. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we honor you. Risen from the dead, seated in heavenly places forevermore. And we are by your side, seated with you. We thank you for it. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. God bless you. And let's thank our musicians as they come down this morning. Hallelujah. Well, on this Easter Sunday morning, I would like to talk to you this morning about accepting your accepted. Accepting your accepted. You know, it really is hard to believe how time flies. And I was just thinking about this recently. It was 23 years ago when I plucked up the courage to ask Faye out on our first date. I mean, how does time fly? 23 years ago, the best decision I ever made. Hallelujah. Absolutely. The best decision I ever made. And from that night on, from that first date, we fell head over heels in love with each other. It was a dream come true. It really was. When I was, um, I think it was six, oh, 17 years of age, maybe 18, 17, 18 years of age, I was in a caravan. I hadn't planned to say this, but I'll say it. I was in a caravan in a field, lonely, oh. very lonely. Extremely lonely. More lonely than that. Oh, I tell you what. 
And you know, I said, I said to the Lord, right? And I'm telling you, I was like desperado, lonely. I said to the Lord, Lord, I'd love to have a wife. Now, 18 years of age, I couldn't even look after myself. Never mind anybody else. God had a lot of work to do. He had a lot of work to do. But he always gives you a little lifeline. He really does. Even though he knows that you can't look after yourself or anybody else, he gave me a little lifeline. And I opened my Bible. And my eyes fell on a verse in the book of Proverbs. And the verse was this. It wasn't about being a fool or an idiot, thank God, because at 18 years of age, all of those, all of those uh, verses would have been true, Daniel. <laughs> I was a fool and an idiot. <laughs> and I still got a, got, got a long way to go yet, right? Keep praying for me, thank God, right? But the Lord gave me a little lifeline about my future, and it was this. A little verse. The wife I give you will be a crown of joy upon your head, but the other type will corrode your strength and pull down everything you do. I thought, my God, I want a crown on my head. The wife I give you will be a crown of joy upon your head, but the other type will corrode your strength and pull down everything you do. I took that, and I'm happy to say I have a crown of joy on my head. That crown, that crown has always been a joyful, joyful crown on my head. And I'm telling you, whether it's a husband you need or a wife you need, God has a crown for your head. He really does. And, and, and some you may have gone through very difficult experiences of rejection and pain. I don't know why I'm saying this, but you know what? There's still a crown waiting to be planted on your head, and it's going to be joyful. Amen. And like we said last week, he will restore all of the years that seem to have been eaten up by those ugly locusts. He'll restore them. He really will. A crown of joy upon my head. That is what, is what she, she is. It was a dream come true for us. And like any young couple, we used to love spending time together. And within the first few weeks, I knew, I knew I was doing well, right? When Faye asked if I'd like to meet her mum and dad. So I said, yeah, I'd love to meet your mum and dad, Faye. I'd love to go home with you and be introduced to your parents. So we pulled up, I remember it, can see it now. We pulled up on the drive. Oh, I'm getting a bit emotional now. <laughs> We're going down memory lane, right? We pulled up on the drive, and I got to be honest, I was a little bit nervous. A little bit nervous, but Faye opened the door, and I went in behind her. Karen and John, give everybody a wave. Karen and John were there waiting to meet me, welcoming me into their home. And immediately they take me into the lounge. I sit down. Shortly after being greeted, 
Karen brings a nice cup of coffee with biscuits on the side. I'm talking the proper Welsh way, the proper Welsh treatment. Here we go. And there I am enjoying this new family that I've been allowed into. The welcome is overwhelming. Shortly after I have some coffee and some biscuits, Karen goes ahead and asks me if I'd like anything to eat. I declined. I was hungry, but I declined because I wanted to be polite. <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. I was famished. <laughs> but, you know, I just wanted to behave. But the welcome, the welcome was overwhelming. Would you like something to eat? No, I'm all good. It was great. A great first introduction in meeting Faye's mum and dad the night went well. Well, as the weeks went on, I became part of the family. It was fantastic. I'd be going round to their house a few nights a week, meeting Faye, enjoying the home. It was like home from home. John and Karen would always say, Hey Dave, you know where the kettle is? The cupboards are full. Help yourself to the fridge. I mean, I had the run of the fridge. <laughs> no expense spared. And you opened their fridge and it was full. Absolutely fantastic run of the fridge. Just help yourself, Dave. Put your feet up. Relax. Make yourself at home. And that's never changed all the way through our married life. Never changed. Never once changed. If I need to use their car, the keys are there. In fact, when we got married, not only did I get to use their car anytime I needed it, I got my own set of keys cut for their house. I know the alarm codes. Now, this is a big one. John allows me to use his tools. That's a big one for a man. He allows me to use his tools and the power tools. And listen, one step further. If I lose them, there's always forgiveness. Isn't there, John? John, sorry to say this. The rake that I lost, I found broken up the garden the other day. But there's forgiveness. There's forgiveness. And for the last 22 years, John and Karen have had us over, had us over to their home 22 years every Sunday for dinner. They never, listen, I'm going somewhere with this. Over all of that time, 22 years, they've never asked me once to do anything. I just sit back and lunch is laid out on the table. Now and again, 
on rare occasions, I might have a sleep. <laughs> now and again. Very rare occasions, isn't it, John? Very rare occasions. I might nod off. And then John just come up to me, Dave, wakey, wakey. <laughs> Lunchtime. Get up. Sit at the table. The lunch is sumptuously laid out before me. All I have to do is just sit down and eat. And then, after lunch, there's several different desserts. Now, again, I rarely partake of desserts. <laughs> I haven't got a sweet tooth, have I, Karen? I don't, you know. And if you believe that, you believe anything. But after lunch, there's desserts and there's a choice. The question is this. Think about this for a moment. Why would John and Karen do that for over 22 years? Why would John and Karen do that for me for over 22 years? Well, the answer really is a simple one. And it's deeply related to what we want to say and think about this morning. The answer as to why John and Karen would do that for me for the last 22 years is because they've accepted me in their beloved. I'm accepted by them in their beloved. Because Faye accepted me as her beloved, John and Karen accepted me in their beloved. I get to enjoy everything that Faye enjoys. Everything they would do for Faye, they would do for me. Faye's position in the family became my position in the family also. She's their daughter. I'm their son. Because I'm accepted now through her, her privileges became my privileges. And it's not once changed. Over the last 23 years, I have been accepted in their beloved. And everything that Faye enjoys in her relationship with her mum and her dad, I enjoy and our children enjoy. I've said all of that to say this. In the book of Ephesians... The Apostle Paul says something that's mind-blowing to us. He tells us that God the Father has made us accepted in his beloved Jesus. 
In the very same way that God accepts his beloved son, Jesus, he accepts you and I today. Listen to Paul's amazing summary of what Jesus has done for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave and the acceptance that we have with God through him. Ephesians chapter 1, from verse 6 through to verse 7, Paul the apostle says this, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Incredible words of truth, of fact, of faith, revelation from the heart of God communicated to our world and to our lives from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Paul, brilliant as ever, encapsulates the glorious achievements of what Jesus has done for us on the cross and through his death, burial, and resurrection in just but two verses. And when you begin to examine these two verses and you really begin to focus your thoughts on them, you begin to see that Paul is very careful about the words that he uses here. For instance, he doesn't say that God is making us acceptable to imply that our acceptance is progressive. Your acceptance with God this morning is not something that is progressive. It's not based upon how you perform, how you comply, how you measure up. There's no trial period in this work that's been achieved for us through Christ on the cross. No trial period at all. Our acceptance is not on an ongoing approval basis. No. God in Christ fully commits, fully commits to you, fully commits to me. Paul talks about the glory of his grace. The glory of that grace long ago went into operation when it came to securing your salvation, securing your well-being eternally before the throne of God. He says, he made us accepted in the beloved Jesus. He made us accepted. That's what Paul wants everyone to know. That's what he wants us to be certain of. That's what he wants to really be rooted down in our understanding. He made us accepted is the language of past action that's been undertaken and completed fully by God. Completed action that's, that's unchangeable and unaffected by time. What's been done 
on your behalf by God through Christ affects all eternity. Hallelujah! All eternity. It can never be undone. It can never be changed by anyone. Made acceptable in the beloved is the declaration that confirms that everything is complete. Everything is perfect in our relationship with God. Our relationship, listen to this. Our relationship, as I was thinking about this, this came to me. Our relationship with God can never be improved upon or bettered from God's perspective anyway. We might think it can from our perspective and we can draw near to God. But as far as God is concerned, his relationship toward us can never be improved. It can never be bettered because as far as it comes to our lives eternally, we have been made accepted in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. We are accepted as he is, perfect and without flaw. Before God, the same endless, infinite love of God that God bestows on his son, Jesus, is also bestowed on us. The Father shows no preference or favoritism to Christ over you. He really doesn't. And it might be hard with our, our, our broken imaginations and our broken understanding and how we try to piece this thing together, it might be hard for us to accept that we are so accepted in the beloved. It might be hard for us to reason it out, but let the Word of God be true. You're accepted as perfect The Father shows no preference or favoritism to Jesus over us. We are as loved by the Father as his own Son is. There's a beautiful little line in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that has been such a blessing to my life over many, many years. And I've wanted to preach it for years, and I've never found release to do it. But I'll, I'll, just, I'll just send it out there a little bit this morning. And there's a little line and it says this. One day we will know as we are known. It actually says then. Then we will be known as we are known. When we finally see him. We will be like him and we will know, we will know as we are known by God. What do I know about Dave Edwards at 52 years of age as I look back? Inconsistency up and down, brokenness and happiness and a strange mixture of life and emotions and feelings. But one day is guaranteed and it is this. That one day I will know as I am known. I will see my life as God sees it in Christ Jesus. Perfect. Faultless before the throne of grace. Hallelujah. 
Paul in that, in that great chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, now it's like trying to peer through a dark glass. There's distortions. There's, there's difficulty to, to try and look through our broken understanding and our, and our weak reasoning to really peer beyond the veil of time and the veil of our life as it is to see into this glorious finished work of Christ as to who we are in God. But then when, our, when that moment finally comes, when we see him, we will be like him. We will know as we are known. Hallelujah. In Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17, Paul points this out again from another angle by saying this. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Listen to Romans 8, verse 16. <laughs> Woohoo! If we could only believe it, church. If we could only take it in. This is the truth. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we, uh, that we may also be glorified together. I mean, you would never dare ever say anything like that outside of God's Spirit speaking to you. You would never ever dare come to the conclusion that you are an heir of God that you are a joint heir and a co-heir with Christ Jesus. You, there's too much brokenness in all of our lives to ever arrive at a conclusion like that. But Paul, by the Spirit of God, seeing the finished work of Christ, is allowed to come to this conclusion and declare it. We are rich beyond measure. We really are. Have you ever wondered why? Just throw this one out to encourage you. Have you ever wondered why it is so easy to be confident that you're a child of God? I mean, like, you know, you, you may have an up and down moment where, you know, just for a few minutes you, you, you doubt it. Because of life and circumstance and experience. But, but, but you always come back to a confidence. You always come back to a certainty. Do you know what? Irrespective of how I feel. Irrespective of my circumstance. Irrespective of what's going on in life. Do you know what? I am a child of God. Do you know why it's so easy? It's because the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. The Spirit of God enables you to understand, believe, and comprehend that you are a son of the King, an heir of God, and a co-heir with Christ. It's wonderful. You're accepted with God. And that acceptance can never be threatened 
all of the inconsistencies of our lives, our successes and failures, the good days and the bad days, the days when you think that you're on top of the world and the days when you can't drag yourself off the floor of the valley, all of that mixture of life, none of it, none of it can cause ever your acceptance in Christ, your acceptance in God to appreciate or depreciate in any way. You know, if you think about how we live, how we process relationships, generally, we accept others based on the promises they keep. And that's right. There's nothing wrong with that. We accept others based on promises they keep and on preconditions that they meet. If you break your promise, if you don't meet the preconditions, your acceptance within the relationship comes into question. But that is not how God operates. It's not. There's nothing wrong with us operating like that as human beings. It's necessary. There are boundaries, there are fences, there are perimeters within our relationships. Promises must be kept. Preconditions must be met. Very important. But God doesn't operate like that. God's grace ensures that there will never be a moment in our future where our acceptance before him will ever be called into question or changed. Because our acceptance has never been based on, listen, our acceptance has never been based on us keeping promises that we make to God. I can't find... I'm happy for you to do your homework, but I can't find any precondition or promise in the New Testament that God demands I keep in order for me to be accepted by him. Let me say it again. I can't find when I've looked in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, that has been ratified in the blood of Jesus, I cannot find God laying out any precondition or any promise that I have to make in order for me to be accepted by him. But what I can find is thousands of promises made to me that God will keep. He just simply asks me to trust, believe, and receive those promises that have been spoken and have a yes and, and, and an amen over them. All of God's promises are yes and amen. Hallelujah. 
When you receive the goodness of God, the grace of God, salvation in your life, a paper was not put in front of you that said, sign on the dotted line. And then there was a load of legalities and preconditions that you had to fulfill in order for that salvation to be ratified and in order for you to be a beneficiary of all of this wonder. No, believe and be saved. Believe and receive. Call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. You shall be a recipient of this wonderful, miraculous life, this wonderful, miraculous gift that God gives through Christ. He doesn't ask you to make any promises. He doesn't look for any preconditions to be met. Just believe. It's as easy as sitting on your seat. It really is. You put faith in that thing to hold you up because you believe that the maths and the calculations have been done in order for your weight to be held. You, you, you put faith in that chair. I'm telling you now, my God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will come true on his word. <laughs> Every single word in the Bible is true from Genesis to Revelation, and you can pick it up anywhere and be blessed. You really can. Paul goes on to show us why this is the case. In what he goes on to say in verse 7, after telling us that we are accepted by God in Christ, listen to this, he lays out the ultimate price that Jesus paid in order for us to be made accepted. In verse 7 of Ephesians 1, Paul puts it like this. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. You could go into hell and quote that and level the place. Every principality and power has to acknowledge legally that you are saved by the blood of Christ. That you have been redeemed. There is no power that has the right, any evil power that has the right to manhandle or mistreat your life. In verse 6, Paul pointed to the glory of God's grace that has made us accepted in the beloved. Now, in verse 7, he focuses on the riches of God's grace towards us as he remembers what Jesus did to redeem us in shedding his blood to forgive us of our sins. When Paul announced in him we have redemption through his blood, all of his hearers would have known exactly what he was talking about. For us in our world today, redemption is not a term that we often use. But in Paul's time, redemption was the hope of every slave. In the Roman Empire during the time of Paul, there was probably almost six million slaves 
These slaves had no right. Their lives were exploited in every possible way. And for them, there was absolutely no way out of the horrors of slavery. If you were born a slave, you died a slave. The only way that a slave could become free from their enslavement was if a redeemer came. Only a redeemer could pay the purchase price to set the slave free from their bondage. If the ransom price was paid in full, a legal certificate of redemption would be issued and that slave would be legally free for the rest of their earthly lives. Never again would they be able to be sold off to the highest bidder. They were free. So, when the Bible points to Jesus being our Redeemer, it's declaring that we've been rescued, that we have been released from the enslavement of sin. But unlike an earthly Redeemer would redeem a slave in Paul's day through the use of silver and gold, our redemption was paid for with Jesus' own blood on the cross. In him we have redemption through his blood, Paul declares. The apostle Paul, like the apostle Peter, emphasizes this. Peter in his epistle, 1 Peter Chapter 1, verse 18 to 19 says this, Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Peter, just like Paul, knew that slaves were bought and sold in the market every day through the exchange of silver and gold. But Peter moves on from that and he says, no, our redemption from sin's slave market came not as a result of silver and gold, but the highest price was paid. Your redemption was not paid for by perishable elements. Your redemption was paid for by Jesus' own blood. That's how much he loves you. And that payment spans all eternity. All eternity. The price that has been paid for us secures our salvation forever. It will never lose its power. The final cry from Jesus on the cross was the word finished. Finished. 
It means paid in full. Paid in full. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we were on his mind. And he loves us with an everlasting love. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Just as I come to a close today, ask yourself the question. Will you accept that you're accepted? Accepted in the beloved. Sometimes life can make us feel unaccepted and unacceptable to God. But our acceptance in the beloved is not determined by our feelings. It's not determined by our emotions. It's not determined by our logic and the reasons that our, our logic arrives at, that we hold in our mind. Our acceptance before God is not based on what we do or what we don't do. It's based on everything that Jesus has done for us. One man once said, and I love this, the Bible is the only book in, in existence where the author is in love with the reader. The author's in love with you. That becomes very obvious when you just turn the pages. He's so in love with you and me. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. I'm going to pray in a moment before we sing and go home. I want to read to you from Romans chapter 8. Just at the end of the chapter, because it's all about God's infinite love for us in Christ Jesus. And even woven into these words that Paul writes is our acceptance. You can hear it. It's all over these words in Romans chapter 8 verse 31 through to verse 39. Paul said this, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Just stop there a moment. What then shall we say to these things? He was having a pretty tough time when he was writing this. Circumstances and life was all over the place. He'd had a rough ride. That's what I love about the writers of the Bible that received revelation from God. They weren't perfect people. 
saints with halos over their head, walking, you know, two or three feet off the ground as if they had everything together. No, these were, these were people with big wounds in their lives, sometimes facing big mountains in front of them, yet they saw God level them. Paul's going through a tough time when he writes these words. He said, so what are we going to say concerning these things? Concerning the ups and downs of life. Concerning the inconsistencies. Concerning the hurts and the pains and just the gamut of life that I just don't understand. What are we going to say when we look out and see that life is a contradiction, that life is full of complexities, that life sometimes has more questions than we have answers for. What are we going to say? That's the question that he starts with. But he has a fantastic, God-loaded, spirit-empowered answer. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Great answer to a very big question. If God is for us, and he is, because you've been made accepted in the beloved, who can be against us? Listen, he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not with him freely? Freely. Give you all things. He's a good God. He's a very good God. Freely. He'll give you all things. Then he goes on. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who can stand up and accuse you? Who can stand up and bring their list of charges? Well, I'd have to answer there's a lot of... A, there's a lot of charges that I could bring against myself. But Paul says, no, you can't even bring a charge against yourself in God's court. Because it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. I mean, I'm glad when people pray for me, but I'm telling you now, I thank God that I know that Jesus prays for me, intercedes for me before the throne of grace and his His prayers and intercessions and groanings of the Spirit never fail. Who shall separate us from the love of God, from the love of Christ? Sorry. 
Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's a good, good God. He looks after us. His care is complete. And not only for this passage, this short passage of time, His care extends on into eternity. He's so, so good. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Listen, what, this week, just before we pray, why don't you just go and share this wonderful news to your friend at work? Out shopping, wherever you are in life. Just let it tumble out of you. Just let it fall out of you. An encouraging word, a helping hand, whatever it is, let's go out and grace our world with this wonderful, wonderful news and goodness of God in our lives. Amen. Father, today I thank you for your presence in this place. Thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your precious, precious people saved by your grace, purchased and bought by your blood, Lord. I pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. That you would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ Jesus in these times. Thank you. Nothing can separate us from your love. Thank you that we are accepted in the beloved because of your shed blood, Jesus. We have been redeemed and we are free. We thank you for it as your people. And as we go from this place today, finally, as we lift our voice of praise to you, and as we leave, we just pray that our lives would be an aroma of your love diffused, diffused into the pain of our world, diffused into the hopelessness that people feel, diffused wherever we are into the darkness of unbelief, diffused. Let our lives just light up, smiling, joyful, hope in our hearts and life in our eyes as we go from this place 
we're excited. Because not only did you die on the cross, Jesus, but on the third day you rose from the dead. You were seated at the right hand of the Father. And you said, all authority in heaven and on earth are mine. And every devil in hell, Satan himself, comes under that authority. Your authority. So Lord, joyfully we go from this place today. Knowing your pleasure, knowing your goodness, knowing your favor, knowing your love that we can never be separated from as your people. Let us grow in accepting that we are fully accepted by you as Christ Jesus is, your son. And all God's people said, come on, let's stand to our feet. Why don't you give him a shout of praise? We're going to sing. Come on, let's give him a shout of praise in this place. In Jesus' name, God bless you.